Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start with the logo? The logo is P.O.'d, everybody. I'm talking about the legend that is Jerry West. He's not, in fact, just pissed. He is going psychotic. He's cussing like a sailor. He's chucking finals MVP trophies through the windows. He's drunk at work, and we need help. Someone who is going psychotic, he's beating people up, and we need help. Actually, wait, sorry. That's not true. Well, it is. It's just the HBO version of Jerry West. The one from his depiction on the shockingly controversial program, Winning Time. The series that everybody is raving about, well, except those who are depicted in it. Everybody in the show pretty much hates the show, but pretty much everybody else loves the show. Just not magic. He hates it. So does Kareem, but Kareem hates most things. But nobody hates the program more than the logo himself. Jerry West hates his portrayal so much that he's now threatening HBO over it. The logo's lawyers fired off an angry letter to the network and the producer, Adam McKay, and they are demanding a retraction and an apology. And they want those things for what they call a, quote, baseless and malicious assault on his character, end of quote. According to ESPN, West is alleging that, quote, winning time falsely and cruelly portrays Mr. West as an out-of-control, intoxicated, rageaholic that bears no resemblance to the real man, end of quote. And he's demanding a retraction, and he wants it within two weeks. Sounds kind of like a ransom note or something. Of course, the irony is that's exactly what the HBO version that they're objecting to so greatly of Jerry West would do. You know, like, Winning Time portrays him as a, quote, out-of-control, rageaholic that bears no resemblance to the real thing. Yeah, except for the real thing is a guy who gets all bent and sends furious letters from his attorneys over a dramatized portrayal and threatens an entire network and then demands an apology and a retraction and puts a deadline on it. I mean, come on now. Come on! It's not like this is a documentary. It's not like they're pretending it's a documentary. Literally, thanks Alvin, way to get that in today. Come on! Come on. Literally, the first frame of the entire series is a disclaimer which reads, This series is a dramatization of certain facts and events. Some of the names have been changed, and some of the events and characters have been fictionalized, modified, or composited for dramatic purposes. In other words, it's fake, Jerry. It's an HBO drama. It's not trying to be real. It's not claiming to be real. But once again, you going all rage bender over it kind of hurts your argument. You're kind of proving their point, my man. His angry letter goes on to say, quote, You took a happy and super successful Lakers era and turned it into a pulpy soap opera. End of quote. <laughs> to, which, to which I'm sure the HBO suits are reading that letter and nodding to themselves and saying, And? 
And the hell is your point? The hell is your problem here? And the letter goes on, quote, you depicted the people in a false light, not at all who they are to garner ratings and make money, end of quote. Again, the suits have got to be confused as hell. Like, uh-huh, right. That's exactly what we did. Not only are we not going to argue with you, we agree with you. That's exactly what we did. We embellished some bleep so we could get some eyeballs and make a lot of money. And we told you we were going to do it when we rolled the opening disclaimer right before the actual show. The hell is there to not understand about this? Logo and lawyers to the logo? I mean, I don't know. Jerry West's a pretty smart guy. Does he not understand the concept of fiction or drama? Does one of L.A.'s biggest icons ever really not understand what Hollywood does? I mean, if anybody did the logo dirty, it was Jeannie Buss when she left him off her top five list of all-time Lakers. It was the organization when they ripped his season tickets. Like, that wasn't fiction. That wasn't a dramatization. That was some real-life bleep right there. And I said at the time, it was some real bullcrap, too. Then again, you watch even five minutes of this show, and you start to sort of understand why Jeannie and the Rambi and Rob Lowe Palenka did this guy the way they did this guy, right? I mean, is Jerry West actually trying to deny that he was a miserable red ass at times? The dude's own biography is called West by West, My Charmed, Tormented Life. His own book. His own book. Tormented. That is the logo story. His own story. Not the HBO version. His own story. So what's next? Is he going to lawyer up and sue himself for being falsely depicted and misrepresented in his own book? And while West and his lawyers are killing the show and demanding apologies for it being overly sensationalized, Kareem is killing the show for, in his words, being too boring. I mean, damn dudes, which one is it? Get your story straight because y'all sound so bitter and so out of touch. And the more you cry about something that really doesn't matter, that you wish would go away, the more eyeballs you're driving to it. Because you just sound bitter and you're running the best PR campaign that HBO could ever ask for. Y'all ever heard of the Streisand effect? You know, when you attempt to hide or censor something and it only makes that thing that you're trying to hide or censor more famous. Jerry, you are Streisanding the hell out of winning time right now. Like, your red-assed portrayal, your red-assed response to your red-assed portrayal is only going to make people think you're even more of a red-ass. My man, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I've always liked you. I've always respected you. You and I had great conversations over the years on the program. You're a legend. You do deserve respect. And nobody wants to see a legend yelling at the clouds and writing angry, threatening letters to TV networks. 
I mean, I don't know. Winning time must be doing something right to get all of these legends this riled up. Far as I can tell, the only dude who seems happy with his portrayal in this is Spencer Haywood, of all people. And I say that because his portrayal includes a story about him giving himself a circumcision. I'm not even kidding. And yet, this dude's not unhappy. Everybody else is, but not the guy who gave himself a circumcision and they put it out there. This dude got outed for snipping his own turtleneck as a kid growing up in Mississippi. And apparently, that is one story from this show that is definitely true. That is a fact, not a fiction, because Spence himself owned it. He admitted it. He told TMZ earlier this month, and I quote, We did it to the hogs, so why not do it to the humans? It's country. It's country, folk. And then he admitted that his brothers helped him with the procedure. Brother. Can I tell you something? Seems to me, if anybody has a legitimate reason to be upset about their portrayal, it's the guy who had to confirm a story about clipping his own stick. Yet, if Spencer Haywood can be a good sport about self-circumcision, I would imagine the logo and Kareem and everybody else could chill the hell out, too. Like, it's a TV show, fellas. It's showtime. Well, HBO, but it's showtime. It's Hollywood. It's a show. They say it right off the very top. Relax. No, and Brad. Brad, yo, Brad. Brad, my guy, do not get any ideas, brother. You have already exhausted your allowable circumcision content for the entire year when you did this. Rome, how you doing, baby? Good, dude. How about you? Oh, fantastic. Listen, I've been waiting on this one for a while. Um, Got an ATP for you here, if you don't mind. Is that cool? Of course. Could you break down the XR4TI and tell us your best guess on who is and who is not circumcised? (laughs) This dude. (laughs) The reason he did not get run, and this is why he's the GOAT, he'd been holding on to that one, and he saved it for (laughs) our Anything Goes Day. That's why he did not get run. Before I retroactively run him now for that, I love the way he starts that call with, yo, Rome, baby, what's up? This dude. Rome, how you doing, baby? No, check that, Rome, how you doing, baby? (laughs) The second he started that, and because I knew it was anything goes days, I knew, or day, I knew something really bad was going to happen. However, because, quote, it is what it says it is, anything goes, even that. Except right now, I would like to retroactively run him for that. Could you break down the XR4TI and tell us your best guess on who is and who is not circumcised? That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a good call. No. That will always be the worst ATP ever. That's the GOAT. Cannot be topped. But at least I finally now have a response two months later. Uh, I don't know who is and who isn't. But of those who are or might be, 
I'm pretty safe in assuming they did not do it to themselves. There you are, Brad. Is that a satisfactory response? You're welcome. The only guy who's not unhappy is the guy who had to own the self-circumcision story. What I'm trying to say is, Traj, Logo, Kareem, if Spence is not unhappy with it, why are you? The very thing that you want for people not to watch it, you made so much worse what is by it? doing what you're doing. Now everybody's going to want to watch it. Those who aren't are going to want to. 1-800-636-8686. Even my son, Jake. Jake Jake fancies himself a sports fan. He kind of is, but not really. He's blowing me up the other day like, Dad, yo, Pop, yo, Pop, you watching this? I'm like, sure, son. He's like, it's great. I'm like, dude, you don't know anything about basketball. So even the college kids love it. Not the logo, not Kareem, not Magic, not Genie Bus. But even Spence is okay with it. And that's the one thing you didn't want to get out. The self-circumcision. Oh yeah, I love that sound. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. What Shopify does is it gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Listen. I know where we started and where we are right now, and I do not plan on stopping there because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. And Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Do this for me. No, do this for you. Go to shopify.com slash Rome all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. You have to try this. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. That's shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Do it. Check it out. Preston Smith is my guest. Preston, so good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. So let me ask you about that extension. If you don't mind, you signed it last month. You were traveling at the time, and you found out the deal had been done. The story is actually pretty wild. For those who do not know, where were you when you got the news, and then what happened after that? <laughs> uh, I was at um, I was coming from a wedding in Tampa. One of my college friends got married, invited me to his wedding. I was coming from Tampa. I got off the plane, and uh, my car was stolen. And the same day I found news, like, right after I found out the news, I found out my car was stolen, like, shortly after. And it was just kind of like a, it was a roller coaster day. But, you know, it, it turned out being better, you know, just to know I got an extension. I got some, uh, you know, I get to be with the Packers for a long time. Uh, a long time, and I, I get to finish my career off here, which is, you know, my hopes. Hey, listen, nothing better than that, but nothing worse than finding out your car got ripped. I mean, dude, what's that like? You're at the airport, you're going to go look for your car, and then you realize your car is not there. Like, if it were me, I would think, I know that I forgot where I parked my car because I do bleep like that. What about you? Did you know that when you didn't see it, that it was stolen? What goes through your mind when you realize, damn, my car got stolen? 
yeah, I knew I knew I parked where I parked my car. I'm from I'm from Atlanta, so I, I fly I fly pretty frequently out of the Atlanta airport, and I know exactly where I parked my car. So when I came back and I was on the phone, my wife actually telling her what was going on, and uh, I was telling her to get like um, hey, I told her this deal had got done. Uh, you know, pack your bag. We probably gonna fly to Green Bay tonight. Uh, that later on that night, and um, then you know, might as well get ready. And um, I was about to be home in a minute. The next thing you know, I was like, "Hold on!" I was on the phone, and I was like, "Hold on!" I said, "My car, my car not here. Don't tell me my car got stolen." So I was like, I had to tell her I was gonna call her back so I could find out what I had to do, you know, to to make sure that it was stolen or you know something. Maybe hopefully at worst, I was hope. I mean, at best, I was hoping it got towed. You know, but I parked in a good parking spot, and I guess it just got, I don't know how I got stolen, how they did it, but it, it, what was going through my head, I wasn't even mad. It, it was kind of like, uh, it was kind of crazy. My mom was, my mom was kind of like, you're not mad? And my and I think like my, my sibling, my brother asked me, was I mad? And I was like, nah, man, it's all right, man. I just got blessed with a whole bunch of money, so <laughs> can't be mad about losing a car. That's what insurance for. I got you. Preston Smith joining us. That's a wild day. A roller coaster ride. So the team has won at least 13 games every year since you arrived. I know you're not going to take all the credit for that, but in talking to your teammates like Aaron Rodgers, he talks about the energy that you've brought to that team. How much pride then do you take in the success that the team has had since you arrived, even if you don't take all the credit for it? Uh, Man, um, I just feel like that's great. The guys, you know, think that highly of me. And I just try to do my part. You know, I, I love I love this organization. I love this team, and I love winning. You know, I love doing whatever it takes to win. And I just want to get, make sure that, you know, I, I, I motivate the guys to be on the same page I am week in and week out and to make sure that we're on the same page going into each game to make sure guys bring high energy and they do whatever it takes to win because that's really what it comes down to, you know, being on a team with a bunch of guys that's willing to do whatever it takes to win and knowing that, you know, I got a guy to my left and my right that's going to go to war with me and, and battle to the end of the game with everything he got. All right, so one of those guys is Rashawn Gary. Last year, he and you and he were the first pair of Packer linebackers to have nine sacks in nearly 40 years. That's an amazing stat. What is that partnership like, and then how much do the two of you feed off each other? Man, uh, man, we, we keep each other motivated. Um, you know, we keep each other up. We keep each other going. I know when I'm if I'm if I'm ever having like a rough practice or something happening mentally, Rashawn to keep me going. And the same thing, you know, I, I lean on him. When you know when I need him to pick it up, and I tell him like, "Hey man, pick up. Hey, let's just take it, turn it up. You're capable of doing this." And he goes out there, and when and if I'm having a rough day, he he gives me that same advice back and makes sure that I'm at the top of my game. And that you know I bring that energy guys can feed off of, and we just make sure we just keep on trading that energy to keep on keep keep each other going because we know uh, with our play and our um, our energy, we we motivate a lot of guys on this team, and we just know that you know other guys besides us. You know, feeding off each other, they feed off us too, and they feed off the energy we bring and our play and our ability out there on the field. Preston Smith is joining me. Look, it's pretty clear. You love the game. You love the game. You love the process. You love the work. You love the prep. And you love to hit. And you love to hit hard. You've made the point, though, that the league is changing, even moving towards kind of like a seven-on-seven feel. Has the game gotten softer since you first arrived in the league? And if so, how much softer? Uh, yeah, the game has definitely got softer. You know, it's kind of like uh, all these blocks that you grew up doing and all these hits you grew up making as a kid, um, they're throwing those blocks out or those hits out, and it's kind of like, okay, that's kind of what made the game a little bit more exciting. Of course, you know, nobody wants to have a, a you know, blindside block or whatever, but kind of sometimes that 
that keeps guys on their toes and that slows guys down, knowing that you can do that now, it's like, okay, guys, you know, running out there fearless, and it's kind of get real flag footballish. If you make a hit or you hit somebody too hard, you get a flag. Uh, they're, they're a lot softer on the quarterbacks. Like, okay, if you land on the quarterback, you try to make a tackle, you got to try to land on the side of the quarterback and not directly on them. Or as a flag, I just I just feel like a lot of these calls and a lot of these um, these these rules that have been implemented lately are, are real soft, and it, and, it, and it definitely I don't feel like it helps the game because you know you sack the quarterback, you land on them wrong, that's a flag, that that changes the game. You just made a big play, now they just threw a flag to negate that that big play, and now that's helping the other team out, especially if that's like a fourth down play or or a third down play that could get you off the field. They they have those moments and stuff that like, you know, that sucks. And plus, like you know, the blind side block that's kind of it's kind of bad. But you know, sometimes you know you just look forward to it. You know, you get an interception, and you look you looking for that old lineman or that offensive player who who might have hit you or did something wrong or did some you might have felt did something dirty to you, and you just want to go peel off on them. But you know, I think that's that, that probably was a good call. That probably was the only good call they had. But other than that, I just feel like it's a lot of soft calls they have that you know don't don't really help you out. See, I got so much respect for that response. That was awesome. Like, you want that free shot. You want that retribution. Even you admit, like, yeah, maybe it's better for the game not to have that. But when you know on that pick you got that free call or that free shot, you're going to take that shot every single time, or at least you used to, right? So let me yeah. ask you this. If you're going to play fast, and you know you're going to play fast, and you're prepared, and you're going to play violently because that's what the game is, how do you know where the line is in terms of what's okay and what's not? Because the one thing you don't want to do is be second-guessing yourself. Right. Yeah, you don't want to play slow. You want to play fast. But I guess we sit in a lot of meetings, which I mean, to me, in my eyes, are kind of pointless. That talk about these plays. I feel like you can show them a couple of times, or just put them in rookie meetings because they show the same thing every year, and they just might add one or two rules and uh, uh, the rule changes or whatever. But I just feel like you know, you kind of know. So by the time you hit the field, you're already conscious of it. So you just know, like, hey, I can't do this or. If I end up get if I if I end up doing it, then you just try your best not to get caught. And if you get caught, you kind of know like okay, well sometimes sometimes there's no other way. You know, like if you 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 doing a certain block, I'm not saying a blindside block. That's kind of like a you know a, a premeditated decision. You know, mid play though, like oh I'm about to do this if you get an interception. But like a lot of times, like if you like if you land on a quarterback, say you get a sack and you land on a quarterback, it's not like I intentionally did that. I'm just playing fast and physical and just trying to make a play for my team. And I just think those unconscious plays should not be penalized. You know, maybe a blindside block should be penalized and potentially fined, but because that's that you know, you, you made your, you made a decision that you wanted you was gonna do that even though you had a chance to not do it. It was but, uh, premeditated. Landing on the quarterback it's... when you're getting a sack is kinda right. it's some BS. <laughs> Preston Smith is joining us. I, I could have this conversation with you for another hour. I love it. Listen, you I know you're concerned about yourself and you're not going to worry about things that are out of your control, especially the business of football. At any point though, and I preface that by asking you this, did you at any point think there was a chance that Aaron Rodgers would not be back in Green Bay? Uh man, that's a tough question, man. You know, I was really wishing on the start with this and when that he came back as long as I was coming back. Cause you know, like I, you know, I, I tell a lot of people, and I tell Aaron this too, man. You know, that's my favorite quarterback. And that was before I got on the team with him. I admired his skill set a long time ago, back in like 2000. After the 2000, well, the 2010 season when they won the Super Bowl, I admired his skills when they came down to Atlanta, marched down there um, to Atlanta and beat the Falcons 42 to 21. 
I wasn't at the game, but I was at home watching it on the local television set. And um, I and I, at that time, you know, I really didn't watch NFL football. It was crazy. I wanted to be in the NFL, but I didn't really watch it. I only watched the Falcons, whoever they played, because I was, you know, a hometown fan. And when I seen them then, I, I became a fan. I was like, man, I don't know who this Aaron Rodgers guy is, but he's pretty talented. And, you know, now that's my favorite quarterback. Dude, that is a wild story. Hey, really quickly, so Zedarius Smith signs with Minnesota. It always wild to me when somebody, I mean, it's business, but from the Packers to the Vikes. But how big of a loss is that, and what's it going to be like when you see him in Viking colors? Uh, so I got a glimpse of uh, being on opposite teams as Zedarius. You know, like a few weeks ago, I was at, we was at a charity softball game. And uh, we should have won, but, you know, I don't see that happening in the future, me losing to him too much. But, uh uh, or, but you know that was my chance to get a glimpse of him, us, us being on opposite teams. But you know, um, just it's a business, and you do what's best for you. And seeing him at a different team, it, it's gonna it's, it's it's gonna hurt, but it's not gonna hurt as much after we win. And um, but just to play, be missing him as a teammate. He was a great guy, great teammate, very talented, made a lot of big plays that can help the team out. And it's gonna be missed. It's gonna be missed dearly. Yeah, Preston, really quickly, I'm out of time, but I love that you referenced a softball game because you don't like to lose at anything because you've got some teammates that are making noise, no names mentioned, Kenny Clark, who seems to think that he's faster than you. Next time you and I need to pick that up. He's also convinced he can beat you in Madden and in bowling. That's something we have to pick up. Russell Douglas, the same things like if you were to return a kickoff, you wouldn't be able to bring it out to the 25-yard line. I know you don't agree with that. I'm just putting all of that in your head. So the next time you and I chop it up, we need to actually start with all that stuff. Yeah, we, so we're going to clear up some of these rumors now. All right, well, we, we're going to talk about we, – we're not going to address Rasul and his, his disbelief in me to make it to the 25 from the goal line on the kickoff. But we are going to address Kenny Clark. If you're a parent, you know this. Kids are amazing, but they are expensive. However, with Fabric, protecting your family with term life insurance is surprisingly affordable. Fabric was built specifically for parents to help you manage your family's financial future like a parenting pro, stress-free. And Fabric's new lower prices mean significant savings over other providers with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. And everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online. Less than 10 minutes to apply, and you can be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Then just personalize your quote to fit your family's needs, and you will be set with high-quality, affordable protection for your entire family. There is no risk to apply today. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. So protect your family with term life insurance right now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash Rome. That's meetfabric.com slash R-O-M-E to start protecting your family right now. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash Rome. Fabric insurance agency policies issued by Vantis Life. Not available in New York and Montana. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Let's go to Buffalo. Rick in Buffalo. Rick, brother, what's up? It's been three months since the Bills' 13-second defensive meltdown in Kansas City. And I'm happy to report I'm still just as pissed off as the night it happened. I did my part to fix the problem by getting Von Miller here. Now it's up to you, Bean, to trade number 49. I'd take a seventh rounder and a pilot dog crap at this point. 
And it was great hearing from my radio dad, Jeff in Richmond, last week. Turns out he's a lot like my real-life old man. Big, fat, won't shut up, and soon to be dead. And speaking of fat guys, Jim, is anyone else as sick of swells in the 1440 as I am? This doughboy won't shut up about the parenting classes he's taken. How about this as a rule of thumb, big guy? If you have to take parenting classes, you're not fit to be a friggin' father. But since I'm such a nice guy, Professor Richard will give you a few pointers. When it's hungry, feed it. When it's wet, change it. And when it won't shut up, throw it in the bedroom, go downstairs and crank the goo-goo dolls. War Vic and Nokal getting a welcome to pound town sign for his bedroom. Only problem is he shares a bed with his Aunt Betty. War the official start of smack off season. The most wonderful time of the year. Thanks for the vine, Jim. I'm out. My man. Do what you always do, Alvin, when he hangs up the phone and rack, rack his him. ass. Hey, so uh, Rick called, and Rick kicked off the official start of the smack-off season. Drum roll, please. Oh, it's exciting. Oh, how spontaneous. This is so organic. The smack-off. All right, here it is. Rick said it. It must be so. The official start of smack-off season with the official announcement. Smack-off number 28 is on June 24th. Friday, June 24th, you know the drill. Many of you are working remotely, so you might be home already. Put in. Get the day off. Make it a three-day weekend. It's a big event. It's the most important show of the year. It's annual. We've only done 27 of these things. Well, for 27 years. And you know I'm going to get to 30. But before that, I've got to get to 28 invite only you might be new to the program and not sure what the smack off is since the official season has begun i will start to lay it out but understand it is for the best of the best invite only the best callers in the history of this program all get together they compete on one day best call of that day wins five grand five grand for the first prize second prize gets nothing third prize even less This isn't like horse racing where first place is 60% of the purse, second place is 20% of the purse, third place is 10% of the purse, fourth place is 5% of the purse, second place is 0% of the purse. It's winner take all. Five grr to the winner. Rick has come close. Not even a set of steak knives. Not even a steak knives. Winner gets five grand. Runner up gets nothing. Third place gets even less. Rick has come in second. You got to beat the goat, the B-I-C, and left. And then there have been other one-offs. You never know. Guys that you would never expect to win have won. No names mentioned. Silk bra. Jeff and Richmond bidding to go longer between wins than anybody in the history of the program. Once again, we have an official day. Smack Off 28 is on June 24th. Put in for it. Take the day off. Make it happen. All right, I can't wait. It's now officially smack-off season. Now, if you're asking, well, how do we get in? If it's invite-only, how do we get in? 
If you have won the event before, you have a lifetime exemption. If you're somebody like Rick and you've got wild, mad game and you make it better and you're a threat to win it every single year, you're in, even without the exemption. If you're somebody who's just kind of a rando or somebody who's normal or somebody who doesn't have that track record, you can still get in with a golden ticket. How do you get a golden ticket? You can get a golden ticket two ways. You can start to call the program, start to build momentum, get some rack calls, and then earn a golden ticket. Or you can come out of nowhere. Maybe you're somebody who's been lying in lurk, lying in the weeds, have always heard the show, and knew that you could make it better, knew that you were different, but just never got around to picking up the phone. Maybe you make that call finally. If you're really different, really unique, really, I don't know, freakish, people have earned golden tickets on the strength of one amazing call. If it's different enough and you get my attention, I will put you in there with a golden ticket. One more thought. You need to be invited to get in. But just being invited does not get you on the air. There are no guarantees. Keep that in mind. So if you're somebody who's in, you want to make sure that you're calling the program leading up to that day. So I've got, you've got my attention and I want to put you on the air that day. Because everybody who's in does not get on. It's really important to make that note and that distinction. You have to give me a reason to take your phone call. So if you're in but you're on the bubble, and you get through, you might not get on the air. All right? I know this is all a little convoluted for some of you. Put it this way. Like Rick, he's getting on the air that day. The BIC, he's getting on the air that day. But there are some golden ticket holders that may or may not get in. All that means is you were good enough to get an invite to the party. But you might be sitting in that table under the exit sign. You might go to the bar to get your drink and have to wait. I'm not being democratic about this. I'm doing whatever I have to do to make that show the best show that I can that day without compromising my integrity or the integrity of the show. So needless to say, I've got a lot to say about the smack off. I just didn't think that I would announce the day of the smack off until today. Man, that's the power of Rick. Rick literally dictated terms. And I hate when you clones try and dictate terms to me on how to run my show. But you see, this is how open-minded I am. I was not going to announce it today, but then Rick showed up and I announced it. It is smack-off season. 1-800-636-8686. Hey, Niner fan. How you feeling about that? Debo Samuel asking for a trade. Now, you can't like that. I don't like that. And I would not say, if I'm the Niners, I would do everything in my power to fix that. What I would not do is say, we've got the best coach in the league. We have the best offensive mind in the league. We have an incredible system. We have other weapons. We made him a really fair offer. Therefore, if he doesn't want to be here, don't let the door hit you. You don't do Debo Samuel like that. There are other guys you do like that, but you don't do that guy like that. You just don't. Let's see here. Preston Smith has been moved to 1040, which is why I am floating. I'm just dragging this out. 
Let me tell you the golden ticket recipients. This is a further example of what I mean. These are people that ordinarily may or may not be invited to the biggest bash of the year, the most important show of the year. But it guarantees nothing. And one more thing about the golden ticket. You may be holding one right now, but I might snatch it back. I also have the authority to do that. How do you lose a golden ticket? Two ways. By calling up and doing something irresponsible, or if I'm feeling it, if you're being a punk ass and you're holding on to it and you're camping with it and you're not calling and you're playing it safe, I'll rip it for that too. Because there's nothing bold about that. You can't win the smack off by playing it safe. So I don't respect that. It's kind of like if you earn a golden ticket, there's a part of me that wants to say you have to keep earning the golden ticket to keep it. All right, so golden ticket recipients include James in Portland, who got run the other day. So I thought for sure that's a guy. That guy cracks me the hell up until he doesn't. So I thought for sure that that was one golden ticket that was etched in stone. He could lose it, but he has it right now. Somehow, some way. In September of 21, I gave one to Kathleen in Omaha. Not really sure what she said or did that day. I don't remember, but it doesn't matter. It's neither here nor there because I snatched it. All right. Now, here, here is the sound, Alvin, of us awarding. It's a beautiful sound, especially if you're on the receiving end. Here is the sound of somebody receiving a golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. It's a beautiful sound. Do you know what's a more beautiful sound? Me snatching a golden ticket back from that same person. That's the sound of somebody losing their golden ticket. Somehow, some way, in October of last year, Matt in L.A. received a golden ticket. Not surprisingly, he also heard this sound. Got his ripped. My dude, John, in New York. Again, I'm not sure why I did it, but in November of 21... I gave him a golden ticket. He still has it. In that same month, Steven in Orlando was given one. The chicken man. Of course he has his. Danica in Jacksonville, the queen. She's got one. Very polarizing figure in the jungle. Paul's dog has one. Gotta have a canine in the smack off, right? And Drizzle in Wichita has one from February of this year. Those are the golden ticket recipients. They are invited, but they're not guaranteed to get on the air. So if you have any other questions about the Smack Off, you can hit me with them right now because it is officially the start of the Smack Off season, and it was kicked off by none other than Angry Richard in Buffalo. Good job, Rick. Way to go. You forced my hand. I was not going to do that today. Once again, Smack Off 28 is June 24th. Make sure you get the day off. Set it up properly. The winner gets five grand. Runner-up gets nothing. Third place gets even less. Five grand and immortality. And the crown of King of Smack for an entire year. And a chance to knock off the goats. 
So the best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a single day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It is commission-free, and it makes growing your money so much easier, and you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then... Automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. So what you want to do is go to m1finance.com sports. That's m with the number one, and sign up and see why money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. So am I. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA slash SIPC. P.J. Fleck joins me. P.J., you know there is only one way that I'm going to start this conversation, the same way we always start the conversation. How are you doing, P.J.? I'm doing a lead, Jim. How are you doing, man? I knew it. The same. The same. It's good to have you back. All right, let's get right down to business. The team had an Easter egg hunt the other day. It looks like the guys really got after it. What was the thinking behind that, and what do you make of the results? Well, we call it an extravaganza hunt. Uh, we can't necessarily call it an Easter egg hunt here at the University of Minnesota in a public school. So we call it the extravaganza. Um, a lot of guys didn't really have Easter egg hunts uh, or hunts like that uh, when they were kids. And it does something really fun. It gets them around the facility. Uh, Emily Litwin um, put on a tremendous uh, you know, hunt for them. And they got a chance to go around there, get some prizes, uh, start the day in a very positive way. It was a holiday weekend. So no matter what you believe in, you got to hunt for some eggs and, and get some gear and get some candy and stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun. And it's amazing how they all start competing. Uh, and then there's prizes and things like that. So uh, it was just something fun. I like it. PJ Fleck joining us. Now, PJ, I ran down a list of accomplishments off the top. And if we're more specific, you won 11 games in 2019, then you had a COVID year, and then you came back to win nine more games last year. It would seem like a wild success, but when you opened up spring practice this year, you said, quote, I failed as a coach last year, end of quote. I mean, when you look back on last year, what did you see that makes you say that? Well, you know, I, I think that I always determined the success of the football team. If I, as a head coach, got every single thing out of them that I possibly could, coaching staff, players, despite the win-loss record. And I think that's what maybe was a little confusing about the statement was we won nine games, but that's what I said because I'm not the one valuing the win or loss. You know, I'm going to be judged on wins and losses, but that's not what I'm necessarily valuing inside the program. I mean, that's a direct byproduct of your people, your vision, and the actual work that you put in uh, is what the data and the results show. So for me, I've got to find a way to be able to say, did I get everything out of that particular team? Did I get everything out of that particular staff? How great of a leader was I? Could I have been better in a lot of areas? And when I look back on it, there's a lot of games and a lot of opportunities. I felt like I, I didn't do my best, and I've learned a lot from it. I've grown from it, and uh, we're going to apply it moving forward. Hmm. P.J. Flack is joining us. All right, so let me ask you about your quarterback, Tanner Morgan. He's entering his sixth season, and you have reunited him with his offensive coordinator from earlier in his time in the program. How excited are you to see the two of them working together once again? I'm really excited. I think the camaraderie and the relationship is really close. You know, Tanner obviously losing his father 
Uh, last year was really difficult for him to go through. I think Kirk's very close to him. Obviously, me, I'm very close to Tanner as well. But when you look at, I think everybody thought, okay, Kirk's going to come back and bring back the Magic of 2019. And there's a lot of things that go into go into that. Uh, we've got to play better. Uh, we've got to find a way to continue to to, to move forward as an offense. We've got to replace a lot of really good players that we're going to lose to the draft. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I love Kirk's leadership. Uh, I, I love how Kirk runs an offense. Uh, I love that there's one message in the room at the end of the day. There's one message, and everybody comes out thinking the same. And uh, they can have a lot of different opinions, but there's a big leader in the room. And I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, Kirk Caraca has brought that to our team. And, uh, it, and now that's back, and I feel really good about that. Minnesota head football coach P.J. Fleck is my guest. P.J., you mentioned the draft. It's coming up next week. Last year, you had a first-round pick in Rashad Bateman and two picks in the top 75. That was the first time for the school in more than 40 years that that happened. This year, you've got a couple of more guys who are expected to hear their names early on. What does the draft then represent to you from a program standpoint and then from a personal standpoint to see your guys live out their dreams? Well, I think it just shows the development of the football team. Uh, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, as we talk about developing others and uh, being a developmental program, you've got to take people from the high school level and develop them all the way uh, to, to their, their dreams. And that's what coaches do. You know, the origin of the word coach comes from stage coach and taking people from where they are to where they've always dreamed of being. Uh, and that's what coaches do. So a lot of the guys were going to be drafted and a lot of guys, you know, the Rashad Batemans of the world who were in the first round and, and now possibly Boye Mafe. I mean, these were high school guys that needed to be developed uh, and came to a developmental program, in my opinion, and got the most out of their, uh, you know, their frames, their skill, their talent, and their potential. And we're going we're gonna to really you know, pride ourselves on that. I mean, we haven't had an offensive lineman drafted since 2006. Um, that's a long time. And when you think Minnesota, you think of the Big Ten, you think really big people, and we haven't had one drafted in close to 16 years. I mean, th- that just doesn't make a lot of sense. But I knew that when I first got here, and I said, listen – we're not going to take any shortcuts. We're not going to just do it on junior college or just transfer players. We're going to do it with high school kids. And a lot of the guys that are going to be drafted up front, you know, the Blaze Andrews, the, the Daniel Faleles, and uh, those are guys that, and even Sam Schluter possibly, and those are guys that were playing as freshmen. They were playing as young players. I uh, had to go through the process and develop. So I'm really proud of them. I'm really proud of the coaches that have developed them, really proud of the program and the culture that's taken them from where they were to, to where they hope they've, they've always dreamed of being. PJ, speaking of large people, Daniel is 6'8", 384. So anybody can see that he's a force to be reckoned with. But what would you tell NFL teams about his personality and what he's like as a teammate? Well, first of all, I'll tell NFL teams like I have everybody who's called is that his best football is ahead of him. Remember, that kid only played about a year and a half of football in high school. And then when he got here, you're playing major college football. And he had so much to, so much to learn and, and so much to, to get better at. And I think he did get better while he was here, obviously. I mean, I think, you know, he's down to 384, which is pretty amazing, right, when he came in about 420, 425, and, and now he's down to 384. And his best football is ahead of him because he's still really young in the mind of playing football. When you add it all up, really, that's, that's five and a half to six years of total football he's played his entire life where I think somebody's going to get him at a really probably a good bargain uh, for how big he is. Uh, and then I think the best football is ahead for him. So, I'm really proud of him. I'm really proud of his growth. Happy for his family, and uh, can't wait to uh, see where he goes. It's going to be really interesting to see. P.J. Fleck joining us for a few more moments. You know, when you talk about a developmental program, I'm curious. What, to you, what's the bigger challenge, P.J., raising a program out of a place where it's struggling or going from very good to great? 
Well, I've got a chance to see uh, the good to great when I was a GA at Ohio State. My first year coaching ever was for Jim Trestle. And at my year one, I'm an offensive GA, and, and we go 12-0. and 0. And at one point, I was like, boy, this coaching thing's pretty easy. I said, it's not that hard. You kind of show up, you beat all these teams, and go to the national championship. <laughs> and then I, I remember listening to Jim, Jim Trestle on the headset, and this was when we played Florida in the national championship. And I remember hearing him very early in the game. And I never heard Jim Trestle say this, but he was right. He said, if we don't get this first down, the game's over. And, and it was over. And it was over almost in the, the first quarter to the end of the first quarter to the beginning of the second quarter. It was, it was a really hard game. And I got to see somebody who my first year of coaching who I, you, you just, you think is perfect. Right. Uh, and then you finally get to see, you know, something that wasn't perfect. And it really humbles you really quickly, even at a 12 and one season. Uh, so I, I, I've never been a part of really kind of the one that's already been there and then take it from the ranking of five to one, but I've been a part of that at Ohio State. But I think for, for us, especially in 2022, I think taking a program who hasn't done things for so long and doing things that have never been done or haven't been done in over a, a whole century, to me that's incredibly difficult because there's so many different roadblocks, so many things that could go wrong, so many change of perspectives, lack of resources, um, people saying you can't and you won't instead of saying, hey, all we got to do this and we'll get right back there. And you have a brand that says it, it can be. Now, I'm not saying one's better or worse. I just haven't been a part of that other one except for Ohio State. But I do have friends that are in that type of role. And that margin for error between being ranked fifth and first is, is astronomical. It's just relative in the way you speak about it. So uh, I think they're equally as very difficult. I just haven't been a part of the ones that, uh, you know, you're going from, you know, like I said, fifth to first in the country. Um, and I can only speak really from the ones I've been a part of. Uh, but we're working every day, you know, to bring our program back to the level of the national championship football that it had back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And uh, that's a challenge as well. I think that that's a fascinating response, and I love that anecdote. Maybe you don't love the anecdote per se, but I love that anecdote about hearing Jim Trestle on the headphone saying, if we don't get that first down right now, this thing's already over. That was amazing. He's the head football you know, coach in Minnesota. On that too. Yeah. I, I was also 1-11. And I think that it, for any coach that's had a horrible season, I think you see things very differently at times than some other people. Hey, clones, what do we want when we're craving protein and we need more energy? I'll tell you what we don't want. Bars, sugary snacks, energy drinks. Nah, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. No, Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and tasty. It's never tough. So why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. In other words, they take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? It's time. Let's get it. The beef segment. I was having so much fun talking to Preston Smith, who's awesome. Awesome. 
that I did not even get a chance to tease the beef segment, but it's time. Hit me up right now. Telephone number is 1-800-636-8686. I'm hammering that number because I want the phone calls to be better than they normally are. The social media portion of this segment always kills. It rules. We need better phone calls. Hit me, 1-800-636-8686. We're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you want to buy a home or refinance your current home, Rocket can. And if you're watching on CBS Sports Network, you see me and you see the giant tower beef to my left. Remember, all beef jerky is not one and the same. Old Trapper's original Old-fashioned teriyaki, hot and spicy and peppered, all come in four-ounce bags. That way you can sample different flavors and find the best one for you. Ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Let's do this. Starting with the social. This guy or this gal is going to set the tone. Hey, Van Smack, I have beef with Treasure Hunt guy. Hundreds of people here at the beach for a good time and this kook is on the quest for the lost booty of Blackbeard. You look like a tool with your pooper scooper in one arm and metal detector in the other. The only treasure here ain't buried. It's those two dimes in front of me, and you're blocking the view now, clown. Thanks, Mark in Parts Unknown. Yeah, that, that treasure hunting pooper scooper with the metal detector at the beach is weird man weird jimothy my beef is with envelopes every time i lick the nasty glue on the back it never works and i sit there wondering why i even bother buying a card in the first place literally the only feature it has is to stick itself or to itself after i slobber all over it and i can't even do that figure it the hell out envelopes Tell my wife she can expect a happy anniversary email from me next year. I am 100% over envelopes. Eric in Colorado Springs. Rome, my beef is with people who refer to their significant other as, quote, my partner. Just say girlfriend, boyfriend, companion, whatever. My partner makes it sound like the two of you bill by the hour or have to call for backup. This is nonsense. Tom in Virginia. I'm going to tell you already, I disagree with this. Next. I can see it ahead of time. I do not agree with this beef. My beef, Jimmers, is with crunchy peanut butter. It's just unfinished, creamy peanut butter. It destroys the bread when I try to spread it, and the peanut chunks squeak on my teeth when I chew them. Hashtag F them nuts. Axel and Boise do not agree. Not only am I a chunk guy, I'm an extra chunky guy. I don't like creamy peanut butter. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike it. It's not ass. And I'd rather have it than not have peanut butter. But to me, that's just non-negotiable. Not only am I chunky, I'm extra chunky. We agree to disagree. That's a reason to go, too, by the way, for some people. Rome, if that is your opinion, you're wrong. Rome, my beef is with people who say, do you have time for a quick question? Hey, buddy, the question you just asked about the limits to the duration of your now follow-up question has made any question no longer a quick question. Just ask the freaking question. Mark in El Paso. Rome, what's up with the dental hygienist? Asking me questions immediately after inserting the little mirror and stabber into my mouth. 
You could have asked me before you jammed those shiny little tools all up in my grill. Nick in the 916. I don't know. My dental hygienist is my favorite. It's Wanda. Wanda's a family friend. I don't have that issue with her. I'll tell you what I do have an issue with. I have an issue with people who are giving you an injection, a shot, and they're asking you questions, and then they jam it in you. Like, you're not expecting it, so they kind of trick you with it. I'm like, yeah, that's not cool. That was dirty pool. Yeah, but you didn't know it was coming, so you didn't braise up, so it's blah. How you doing? How's your day? Zap. Hey, hi. How are you? Nice to meet you, Poke. Let's see here. My beef is with the ungrateful degenerate clones. Last week, I called Flight Deck a one-trick pony. Not to disrespect him, but to motivate the big head. He then proceeded to go 7-1 and one on his picks. You're welcome, you ignorant bastards. Dear Jim, my beef is with my husband because he is never tender, caring, or gentle during our wrestling matches. Sincerely, Pound Town Wife. Blake in Denver. My beef, Rome. <laughs> Listen to this guy. My beef is with my wife. We get away for a well-needed adult getaway. I am getting prepped for a long overdue, no-holds-barred wrestling match. She comes out of the bathroom wearing the same full-length, mothball-smelling, leopard-skin, moo-moo nightgown that she wears at home. We look like the Ropers getting ready to make whoopee. Way to spice it up. My guy, Jim and Temecula. If I had a pay-per-view, I'd give it to you. Sounds like the two of you getting it on is a pay-per-view. What up, P and the B? My beef is with my smartwatch and its annoying reminder, time to stand during the most inopportune times. Example, driving my car. Flying on a plane, taking an afternoon napper, on the can, dropping a deuce, and worst of all, while taking my wife to Pound Town. Brad and G-Rap. Dear Jake and Logan's dad, my beef is with my 17 and 20-year-old sons. The beef is that they call me out for being overly positive and too loud every time they do anything good on the athletic field. Sorry for the years of unconditional love and support. If I want to go all Ric Flair from the crowd when you have a highlight on the field, deal with it, you chowed turds. Got a boy, Bernie, in Beantown. I'll give you a reaction beef. My reaction beef to that beef is Dodger Jano leaning over and saying to me when University High School Logs is getting raked and things are not going well on the mound for him. Say, say something. Say something. He needs to hear something. Say something. I'm like, Jano, trust me. Now is not the time to say something. It's going to piss him off. He knows. He knows he's getting yacked. He knows somebody's hit one 400 feet off him. He knows that either A, he has an adjustment he has to make, or B, he can tip his hat to somebody who just hit a good pitch. It's going to make it worse if I, quote, tell him something. Dodger Jano tell me to counsel Logues when he's getting lit up. Dear Van Smack, my beef is with parents 
who record their toddler getting his head stuck in the staircase rails and then giddily show it to everybody before sending it to America's Funniest Home Videos. Hey, losers, ask your traumatized child if he thinks that's funny. I hope that when he grows up, he blows off curfews, asks mean and nasty things about you, and bans you from his wedding. Mike in KC. Romy, my beef is with you. Yesterday, not letting me tell you about my trip to New Mexico. I went to the Trinity site and the Owl Cafe. That Robert Oppenheimer and the rest of the Manhattan Project scientists frequently visited. Eric in Orlando. All right, Eric. Couple of things here. Respectfully. And if I'm saying respectfully, you're about to get dissed. First of all, Eric, nobody gives a damn about what you did in New Mexico. Second of all, I didn't stop you from doing anything. You used your time to ask me if I had anything to tell you about my trip to El Paso. I didn't know you were looking to set me up to ask you about something that nobody else gives a damn about. My beef is that idiotic beef. Come on, bro. What? Your beef is that I didn't ask you about your trip to New Mexico? How was I supposed to know? Number one, I would never have asked you about your trip to New Mexico because I don't give a damn and neither does anybody else not named you. But how was I supposed to know that when you asked me, is there anything that you need to know about my trip? Why, why would you need to know anything about my trip, Eric? Eric, stop doing Eric things. Dude, you're living off, off one call. And that's not going to last much longer. Dude, what are you, the hell are you doing? What you did just there is even worse than what you did yesterday. And now, by the way, you're slowing me down, you're dragging me down, and it's taken away from other good beefs. Come on, man. Wow, dude. If it sounds like I'm pissed, it's because I'm pissed. Dear Jim, we have beef with a guy who will not leave us alone. What, you mean like Eric? We have beef with a guy who will not leave us alone. He continually tries to find ways to make us leave. If he showed up more than once a month, a year, maybe we would care more. Hey, old man, have another spotted cow and mind your own business so we can do our business in your yard. Signed, the geese in the yard of Rome's Wisconsin home. Now the geese are beefing with me. Why, man, I gave them the best lawn on the best house on the lake. I only show up one, one month out of the year, if that. Rome, my beef is with the tiny square on my watch that is supposed to tell me the date. It's never accurate. Months have different numbers of days. The minute hand covers the square every hour unless you have perfect close-up vision. You can't read it anyway. Should you decide to set it correctly, you will be spinning a BB-sized knob for 20 minutes, and next week it'll be off again. Timex, eliminate that ridiculous feature. Brian in Detroit. Like, these are good, but these aren't incredible. You know what I'm saying? But they still have to be better than the calls. Jimmy, my beef is with the cheese. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. The cheese that comes inside of a pizza Lunchable. I already look like a child eating it. And now I look like a toddler scratching with my fingernails at the bottom of the tiny container for the clumpy pieces of cheese that there's already a shortage of. 
Mike in Mini. Hey, Mike, are you older than 11? Then why are you eating Lunchables still? Gerald Lafferty. I have beef with adults who think flatulence is funny. There is nothing amusing about that foul-smelling odor coming out of your butthole. If you need to release gas, please get the hell away from me so I don't have to inhale the poo particles leaking out of your anus. Thank you, Gerald. He's not wrong. Jimmers, I got beef with my wife. I work from home, and she comes home for lunch, right? During the beef segment. She doesn't know the show and says, what the hell is that? I have to turn it off so we can talk. Happens every week. Chuck in Huntsville. Hey, Chuck, just play that back to her. Why don't we try some telephone calls? Let's go to Deming. Ed in Deming. Ed, what's your beef? Hey, Jim. My beef is with James in Portland. Hey, James, we don't need you calling in every week and recapping Alvy's weekend exploits. The only reason you call in and try to live vicariously through Alvy is because you can't even score a date with Portland woman. We already know Alvy has a lot of sex because he has a lot of kids. Class it up, James. I'm out. I think what you meant to say is Alvy has a lot of kids because he has a lot of sex. But you're right. James should class it up. Should I go to hotline? the hotline? That's weird. I'm trying to think. I don't think that I've had a conversation with Jerry Jones since, believe it or not, literally, since 1994. He came on talk too one night. Yet here he is on the hotline? That's odd. Jera, is that you? Jim Rome, Jerry Jones, here, you're a Hall of Famer. Been a while. And uh, love me some pound town. Uh, hashtag pound town. I my kids love pound town. I also love some beef. And I got a beef, but I like to pour salt all over. I love my salt, Jim. You ever see me with an egg McMuffin, Jimmy? More salt. High blood pressure. Woo! My beef, and I know this drives Alvin nuts, is when there's no duct tape on the glory hole, Jim. Talk about a pain in the shaft. Ah. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. I don't know. I, I don't think that was Jera. I don't think that was Jera. I don't think that was Steven. I don't think that was... His legitimate daughter that he wants nothing to do with. I don't think that was Jimma. I don't think that was any of the sort. Let's go to Ann Arbor. Jim. Jim, what is your beef? Yo, Jim. It's good to be with you on the beef segment today. You know, I really don't have any beef to speak about. But uh, I, I would like to wear a beer. How weird that Jerry Jones would call during the beef segment only to be followed by Jim Harbaugh, who doesn't have beef during the beef segment, much like he didn't have smack during the smack off. Let's try one more. Let's go to Alaska. Matt in Alaska. Matt, what's your beef? Jimmy, what's going on, man? What's up, dude? Dude, I got a real problem with the 
butthole at the Easter barbecue who's suddenly an expert on spinal injuries since I broke my back 10 days ago. You know, this is the same butthole that's been an expert on foreign conflict for the last two months. He's been an expert on the pandemic for the last three years. And now he wants to tell me to make sure to do my physical therapy and make sure you have good posture. Don't bend over and pick anything up. Yeah, dude, I got it. I got it. I have a, I have a surgeon who I'll take my advice from. I don't need to hear it from you. So war, Rogan Loam, dropping down and stacking K's. I'm out. My man. Nice job, Matt. Way to go. And when I say nice job, what I mean is thanks for not coming with a third butthole that would have got oh, you butthole. one for sure. Butthole. Yeah, two. He said, thank you very much, butthole. I think I'll take my advice from my actual surgeon since I broke my back. Appreciate you warring rogues. Rogues appreciate you warring rogues. Dropping down and stacking Ks. Podcast with Chris Mannix and Howard Beck and host of Boxing with Chris Mannix Podcast. He is everywhere. He is a good friend of the program. We have lots to cover. Chris, always good to talk to you, my guy. What's up? How are you? What's going on, Jim? Dude, lots to get to, so really good to have you. Thanks for making time for us. All right, Chris, so tonight is Game 2 of the Nets-Celtics series. Given how Game 1 went with Kyrie Irving and the fans getting into it and then Jason Tatum winning that game in the last second, what kind of an atmosphere are you expecting tonight? It'll be great. Um, It'll certainly be hostile once again uh, towards Kyrie Irving. Um, His reaction to the fans is only going to encourage them to be just as vocal uh, we'll see if Kyrie has similar reactions that you know could lead him to get fined once again. But it's going to be be hostile out there. I think the bigger question is you know, less to do with Kyrie Irving, who was brilliant on the basketball court, but more to do with can the Celtics be as effective against Kevin Durant as they were in Game One? Can the Celtics be a little bit sharper defensively? The Nets shot the ball pretty well overall. Uh, in that game one, um, you know, can Jalen Brown play a little bit better? Can Jason Tatum continue to play at a high level? I mean, the the storyline is Kyrie Irving, but, you know, uh, his relationship with the Celtics fans is not going to have an outcome on this game. Chris Mannix is joining us. I understand exactly what you're saying. That said, and I will follow up on that, let me just go back to Kyrie for one more thing. I mean, clearly he does not like the Boston fans. They clearly do not like him. You made the case for SI that the feud is just, quote, weird. Lay it out for me. What do you mean by that? Well, look, the Boston fans are annoyed that Kyrie left after, you know, publicly stating that he was going to resign in the fall of 2018. Then that 18-19 season happened. Everything went sideways, and Kyrie decided to go. I I think it's a little bit unfair to hold Kyrie to a standard that, maybe we don't hold ourselves to. I mean, Kyrie left Boston to go to Brooklyn, where he lives and grew up nearby, to play with one of his best friends in Kevin Durant, who also happens to be one of the best players in the NBA, and got a max contract along with it. I mean, I don't know how many of us would do anything different. Now, he probably shouldn't have declared that he was coming back, you know, in the preseason of 2018, but... He also didn't know that the 18-19 season was going to be one of the most dysfunctional um, in recent NBA memory. So I, I think the Celtics are, and their fans are kind of holding him to a standard they wouldn't hold themselves to. At the same time, I don't know why Kyrie continues to engage in the way he engaged. Look, Kyrie left Cleveland under bad circumstances. 
he doesn't have the same kind of acrimonious relationship with Cavaliers fans as he does Boston fans. There's just something about um, how these fans react to him and what they say that really crawls under the skin of Kyrie Irving and has led to kind of this deep animosity. I'm not sure really should exist. I mean, the the two were linked for two years. Like that was it. There wasn't some longstanding relationship between Kyrie and the Celtics yet. You know, if if you didn't know anything about it, you would have assumed that this guy had been, you know, part of the team for a decade and left for an arch rival. And and those things couldn't be couldn't be any further from the truth. Chris Mannix is joining us. All right, Chris, to your next point. Kevin Durant, they defensively, I thought Boston played an amazing first quarter, and then you're right, they were not as effective defensively after that. But Kevin Durant still went 9 for 24 in game one. What do you make of how they dealt with him, and do you think that's repeatable? They were very physical with him. It began with Grant Williams. It continued with Jason Tatum. Al Horford uh, played a little bit of that defense as well. And, you know, sitting there watching every possession that Durant tried to get open, he was forced off his spots. He was pushed back and had to make catches deeper and had to begin his movements a lot further away from the basket than he wanted to. I thought it was an excellent strategy by this Celtics team. Now, I can't remember seeing Kevin Durant play two bad games in a row. They just don't happen. He's too good offensively for that type of, of situation to unfold. And I would also expect Steve Nash to make some adjustments, like keeping Durant in motion, having him play more catch and shoot than he did uh, in game one, where he was a little bit too focused, I think, on playing isolation basketball. So I think the Celtics will continue with that game plan. I just expect the Nets to make an adjustment that will enable Kevin Durant to get his shots off a little easier. Talking to Chris Mannix, can't wait to see game two. You know, you did a piece on Joel Embiid a few weeks back. Let me ask you this. When you think about Joel Embiid, early on there were questions about his durability, questions about his game, and we saw what he did during the regular season. We see how he's looked so far in the postseason. As you watch him, has he answered all those questions about either his game or his durability or both? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, last year, he probably would have been the MVP if he had played more games. He had some injury issues last season. Um, this season, those injury issues have largely been non-existent, and you're seeing kind of the full breadth of talent within Joel Embiid. I mean, there's really not a shot he can't make at this point, and, and that includes three-pointers, baseline jumpers, power moves to the basket. He is just really comfortable in every possible position. That's a credit to his work ethic. I mean, when I spent some time with him, one of the things I was astonished by was that was how every offseason he spends so much time um, working uh, and studying film of other great players. He has watched every made basket of Kevin Durant, of Shaquille O'Neal, of Akeem Olajuwon, of Michael Jordan, every single one of them. He and his trainer, Drew Hanlon, have spent so much time going over that, um, you know, that, that tape of those guys, he's implemented all that into his games. When you watch him out there, it's not just blunt force he's playing with. He's throwing up feathery mid-range jump shots. He's making threes at a rate a player his size and skill set probably shouldn't be making threes. He's, he's the complete package right now. And, look, I know MVP is a regular season award, but I'd argue there's probably a few voters out there that watched what Nikola Jokic did in his first couple of games and watch what Embiid did in his first couple of games and maybe wondered why they didn't vote for Joel. 
I'm glad that you mentioned Drew Hanlon because this is a huge Drew Hanlon house. I love that guy. I was going to mention him myself. Speaking, Chris Mannix, my guest, speaking of the MVP. All right, so despite the fact that the Joker is the reigning MVP, there is still a group of fans, even some media members, that do not seem to respect him, at least not on that level. Chris, if Denver gets blasted out of the playoffs in the first round, you know that crowd's going to try to make that argument that he's not MVP caliber. What do you make of that argument? I don't buy it. Um, you know, look, that team was ravaged by injuries all season long, and they played as well as they played largely because Joker is on a different level. Like, how many other guys could carry that team in that conference to a six seed without two all-star caliber players in Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray? I mean, he, he was superior. Now, it will be an indictment on him to a degree – if he can't get this team back in the series. And Golden State, look, they may not be beatable anyway. With Steph Curry, you can make the argument the Warriors are the top team in the Western Conference. But to see Djokovic, um, to, 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 to see Jokic, rather, go out there and just kind of get pushed around by Draymond Green, who's, what, five inches shorter and 40, 50 pounds lighter, that can't happen. He can't shoot three-point shots. Um, you know, in that situation, he's got to go to the basket, get to the free throw line, get Draymond Green into foul trouble. He's got to be that guy, and um, he hasn't been that through these first couple of games. Now, he's not the only reason that Nuggets are in this hole. I mean, Aaron Gordon hasn't shown up. Um, you know, some of the other role players have not played to their level. But the focus is going to be on Jokic right now, and he's getting outplayed by Draymond Green, who he should be as an MVP candidate and a reigning MVP. Uh, be able to get buckets on. Yeah, outplayed and imploding and losing his composure as well. Chris Mannix joins me for a few more moments. All right, so if you're the Suns, Chris, how worried are you about the fact that you lost at home last night and Devin Booker left that game with a right hamstring injury? Not the same as the other hamstring, but a right hamstring injury. And are you hearing anything about the severity of it? Not yet. Um, Certainly hamstring injuries are troublesome because they're the kind of injuries that you really can't play through um, because they can get worse, similar to the calf injury that Luka Doncic has been dealing with. So it is definitely a cause for concern, more so because the Pelicans are good. Like I know Zion's not playing and probably won't play, but C.J. McCollum has been exactly what that team needed. Another lead guard who could take scoring pressure off Brandon Ingram, who could take playmaking pressure off the other guards in that lineup. Um, and he's got a wealth of playoff experience as well, so he's not going to get rattled in these kinds of moments. This team is not a fluke. They're not going anywhere. And going back home with home court advantage, it's going to give those young players and empower them uh, a lot more than they probably felt going into this series. So, look, if Devin Booker can't go or is limited, the door is, and I know it's kind of a vague statement, but the door kind of is wide open for that team, to, for the Pelicans to win that series. And I'm not sure it would be a massive upset given how uh, significant Booker is to Phoenix's success. Hey, Chris, sidebar really quickly. Are you watching Winning Time on HBO? I opened the show by saying that Jerry West is pissed, really pissed. In fact, everybody depicted is pissed, except for Spencer Haywood, who had good reason to be. Have you watched the show at all, and what are your thoughts if you have? I've watched a little bit of it. Um, you know, I, I've read the book, um, which is excellent by my former colleague Jeff Perlman, it's not like the book. Like they, they have taken a lot of liberties from the source material, which 
I guess you can do if you're not declaring it to be a documentary, but if I were Jerry West, I'd be pissed because Jim, you and I know, like people look at these as documentaries. Like they, they, they watch these and they, even though they're dramatizations, there's a lot of people out there that are probably thinking that's Jerry West. You know, that's he's, he's, you know, alcohol and anger and all the things that were, have been associated with him uh, in that series. That's not really fair, you know, to the guy. I, I think a, Equally good show could have been made with a more realistic depiction of Jerry West. And I can completely understand why he's as angry as he is. Chris Mannix joining us on the program. He's a senior writer for SI, an NBA analyst for NBC Sports Boston, a boxing analyst for the zone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Chris, great to have you on. Always appreciate you. Appreciate the relationship. You know that. You got it, Jim. Anytime. Good night now.